Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So there was a young pastor traveling on his way to visit an older uh, pastor one day. And the older pastor lived in the mountains, high up on the mountains, deep within the woods. And the young pastor got to the driveway and went up this long, windy gravel road to get to the top. And when he went around one of the curbs, his tires slipped, his car kind of sputtered. He corrected it, got back on track, and drove up to the older pastor's house. The older pastor met him out front, and the young pastor exclaimed, It was a miracle. My car went to slip off, but it, God saved me, and I made it up here. And the older pastor remarked, well, through God's providence, I've been safe going up that driveway for 20 years. When is something a miracle, and when is something the providence, next slide, providence of God? When is something a miracle and when is something the providence of God? We're going to talk about this today as we continue our You Pick series. Remember, we're doing series based on questions you've asked. It's been fun and it's been challenging because the question we're answering today is why do miracles happen to some and not others? Why do miracles happen to some and not others? And as I worked through this question this week, I have to admit it was far harder than I thought it was going to be. And my worldview was challenged. I had to rethink a lot of different things because honestly, I had never put God's providence in a category and then miracles in another category. I never really thought through that a lot because I, well, my number one assumption is, well, God can do whatever he wants. Y'all with me? God can do whatever he wants when he wants, and that's just kind of there. But when you get asked these questions, you got to dive in and try to work through it. And I found out that it actually has some pretty good stuff to say about this. And I realized that it's pretty important because when we talk about God's miracles versus God's providence, we can end up using and saying some confusing things about God. For instance, we have some people who believe that miracles don't happen at all. The miracles don't exist, and the world is what it is. Even people who believe in God can say that miracles aren't for today and they don't exist anymore. You have that camp. And then you have another camp to the other extreme who says, well, miracles happen all the time. In fact, I was trying to get to the mall. I couldn't find a parking spot. (laughs) And miraculously, a parking spot came up front. And we giggle at that, but what happens when you talk about all these miracles God has done in your life and somebody says, well, I just watched my family member suffer and God can give you a miracle of a parking lot, but he can't help me with this? Ah, we don't realize. See, when we use this language and we talk, what other people are going through and what they're experiencing, and they may say, well, how can a good, loving God give you a parking spot? But I've watched them struggle or I've watched. So we go, wow, well, what is that then? Are these miracles or is this the providence of God? How does this all work? 
So let's talk about, let's get on the same page and let's first talk about the providence of God. I need to give you a warning. I have two different sermons today, but I brought them all together for one. So we're going to be all over the place, but I've tried my best to work through this. So here we go. Now, the term providence of God is not found in the Bible at all. It's a theological category that explains God's ongoing relationship with creation. Okay, the providence of God speaks to God's ongoing relationship with creation, how he interacts with creation. It talks about how God cares for and interacts with the world. And when you dive into this topic, it's like opening up a can of worms. You can go in all sorts of directions, and we're not diving that deep today. We'll save that for another topic next year when you ask me about that. Hopefully you forget by then, okay? We go into this again, but in general, okay, in general, I think we can agree on this, from a biblical perspective, how we can understand God's providence, at least, you like my non, like, uh, never mind, let's just keep moving through it. All right, God's providence is he's created, he sustains, and he governs the universe. Now, how deep that all works, again, we'll talk about that a different day, but this is a core Christian belief that God created it. God sustains it and preserves it somehow, and he governs and interacts with the world. This is a core Christian belief. Theologian Eric Millerton says it like this. He said, is the believer's conviction that he or she is in the hands of a good, this should be our conviction, of a good, wise, and powerful God who will accomplish his, not yours. This is very important. His purposes in the world. And we can confuse this a lot. I do it too. But that we are in the hands of a good, wise, loving God who accomplished his purpose in the world. And what this means is God isn't distant. God isn't uninvolved. It means that God is involved. God does care and God does work in this world, even behind the scenes when we don't know about it. For instance, a good story that explains this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 9. You can read it on your own, but it goes like this. You have a young man whose father has lost all of his donkeys. Where's Chuck at? You ever lost all your donkeys? Okay, so maybe, I don't know, maybe you had donkeys you can relate. I can't relate to this. But this father lost all his donkeys and so sent his son to go find the donkeys. Anybody know what the son's name is? So. You still answering all the questions, Betty. Okay, Betty, still, Wednesday night she would do that. She knows all the answers. Okay, yes, the father sends young Saul to go find the donkeys. So Saul sets off with one of the servants. They go and look for the donkeys, and lo and behold, they can't find the donkeys anywhere. So Saul says, okay, let's, let's go back home before father starts worrying about us because we've been gone for so long. We've been going to all these towns and villages, and the servant said, hey, How about we go to a prophet in the next town? He may know where the donkeys are. Now think about this. We go, we have God's powerful prophets. Let's go ask them about some donkeys, right? So they do. They they decide to go over there and let's ask this prophet Samuel about the donkeys. Well, what they don't know and what we do know is God actually went to Samuel and said, hey, tomorrow a young man's going to come here and I want you to anoint him as king. Now, did Saul know about this? No. 
Saul was on a donkey expedition. That's what he was doing. He was looking for donkeys, and he was scared to death because he can't find the donkeys. But we have God working over here telling Saul, hey, this is going to happen. And when, Saul, when Samuel saw Saul, you like that? Okay, come on. All right, when, 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 when Samuel saw Saul, God, God let him know. He said, look, that's him. That's him. That's the one I told you. That's the one you were expecting. That's the one I sent here. And so what we see in, and seeing that through the story, and he was anointed king, but what we see in this story is that lost donkeys, there was something else going on than just lost donkeys. That God was working and God was moving and God was doing things through these lost donkeys. He got Saul where he needed him to get. Now, the question is, did God cause the donkeys to get lost or did God just work through the donkeys? being lost. Who cares, right? I mean, that's, it doesn't matter. What we do see is God does work through that. And for uh, you animal lovers, the donkeys were saved. Okay, they did make it home. You don't have to worry about that. But what we see is that God was working behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes. However it works out, we just see that he was. This was not a miracle. This was God's providence at work, getting people to where he wanted to get his people. He got them there. He got them there safely. He took them through all the towns. He brought them through the exhaustion, prompted in that servant's mind. Let's go to the prophet. He talked to the prophet, said he's coming. See, God was working behind the scenes the whole time, and they were just simply going about their business. So one thing that Christians believe, or one thing we need to be reminded of, is that God is providentially working in this world. He's not just out there somewhere. He's here involved in working out his purposes. For instance, while it may seem like it's a miracle that some of you are at church today, and it may feel like a miracle for some of your family, it's more than likely God's providence at work. Him getting you to where he wants you to be. And we remember that we are in the hands of a good, wise, powerful God who will accomplish his purposes in this world. It will help us stop believing in coincidences. I honestly don't believe in them. And we may start seeing things for what they are. And we may see God working in ways we never thought. Maybe through a parking spot. I don't know. But we may see God working and getting us to where he wants us to be. And when we distinguish providence and miracles, it allows us to dive deeper into miracles and what they are. And this is where I am today on this topic, by the way. It may very well change by 1 o'clock after some of your emails, okay? I'm well aware of that. But this is where I'm at on miracles because, listen, it gets very difficult when you start trying to speak in definite terms about what God does. This is God after all, isn't it? He can do what he wants. But it seems that miracles are pretty specific in the Bible. You see, miracles, in fact, the Bible doesn't use a word for miracles. It uses several different words to describe the purpose of of what's actually going on and what God is doing through them. 
And so if divine providence is God working through the creative laws, I forgot this, look at this. Divine providence is God working through his creation and natural laws, the things he has already set up, right? He created, he did that. Then that means that a miracle, miracles are God working outside of his creation slash natural laws, right? If miracles are God working outside of it, he seems to suspend the laws of creation or whatever that looks like, do things differently, whereas divine providence is he works through them. Okay, now, with that behind us, we see that the concept of miracle in the Bible, what it's described as are signs, mighty works, and wonders. So it doesn't just say, boom, a miracle was done. It says there were signs, there were mighty works, there were wonders. They were doing something. There was another reason for them. It wasn't just because something else was happening. So theologian uh, Millard Erickson helps us. He said there are at least three primary reasons, at least three. That means there could be more. If you have the categories for them and work through that, that's great. But there's at least three purposes of miracles. Number one, to glorify God. Hey, to glorify God. This is that idea of wonder. It causes an awe. Exodus 15:11 says, "Who among the gods is like you, Lord?" Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? I just always like when I see the word awesome in the Bible. It makes me feel good. I don't know why. Awesome in glory, working in, there's our word, wonders. It just gets you caught up going, wow. How amazing is God? This is the primary concept of a miracle. It's a wonder that provokes thought. It provokes your imagination to think about how good God is. Is thinks about how what he can do. It it seems to fill the person with amazement and astonishment. Just going, wow, what an amazing God we serve. See, often miracles can strengthen our faith and give us a sense of awe. Or we also see of divine revelation or confirmation. This is where that word sign comes in. One scholar says, where wonders appeal to the imaginations. Signs appeal to the thought process, meaning it's pointing to something, it's showing us something. And throughout the Gospel of John, he never uses the word miracle, he always uses the word sign. He's saying, yes, this happened, but don't get caught up in what happened, get caught up in what? What it's pointing to. It's showing you something. It's doing something different. It's not just about what happened, it's about what it's pointing to. He tells us this, John 20, 30 through 1. He said, Jesus performed many other yeah, signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Right? These signs are pointing us. They're showing us something, that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we understand that we see these prophets, they do these signs, they do these things, but it's confirming and affirming who they are and the message and what God is saying and doing through them. And then other times we see it's to meet human need. There would have been a lot of Bible verses there. I think you just get this point. But what it seems to be is that through these signs and wonders, we see God meeting a human need. But what I can tell from the scriptures and what I see is that generally these human needs that are met aren't just about meeting the human needs. It's about pointing to something else, about pointing to what God is doing, a pointing to him or pointing to what he is doing in this world. Think about Elijah. 
Right? Remember Elijah traveling around and then he comes across the widow. Remember her? You remember the story we talked about, Mount Valley? Okay, yeah, about the widow and the oil and the bread. Remember, he ended up making all this oil and this bread and this amazing thing happened where everybody else was starving and they had plenty. He met this human need. He met her need and her son's need with this food. But what did it also do? It took care of him. Right, the divine providence took care of him and met him being, a, being the man of God who's traveling around doing these things. It also met him. So we can look at that as divine providence as well, can't we? Again, these aren't neat categories, guys. They kind of interlapped and interween. We're talking about the works of God. It gets rather difficult. But what we see is through the life of Jesus in, in the Bible, we see he constantly heals people, but it always seems to always follows with the teaching event about pointing to who he is and, and what he's doing and about how he's the Messiah. Remember the point of, and this is what we need to get across, the point of isn't the miracle. Something bigger, something greater. The point is, well, well, God and what he's doing and how he's working. And think about it. Every time we see these miracles and acts, it's pointing them to the Messiah. It's pointing them to Jesus. It's pointing them to what God is doing in the world. And so if we bring this together, we understand miracles to be the signs and wonders of God working in the world to glorify God, to reveal God, and to meet human need for the purposes of God. And why this is important, because what we find is that miracles are not about us. Miracles are about God. That changes things. It changes the way you look at miracles, that miracles aren't about us. They're about him. This is actually a great thing then. Think about this. You're like, well, that's not fair. It is fair. Think about it. He's God after all. This helps us understand that miracles aren't about God doing some things for some people and not things for other people. This is about God doing something to reveal himself, which now means miracles aren't about him liking you more than liking someone else. It's about how God's choosing to work at a particular time in a particular place. Miracles are now about him and his purposes. Is that helpful? Does that make sense? That's where we're at with it today. Maybe next week it'll change. I don't know. That's where we're at. Think about this. John chapter 9, he says this. There's a man blind, and the disciples say, whose fault is it, Jesus? Is it the man who sinned because he was born blind? Is the man who sinned as a fetus, or is it the parent's fault? Whose fault is it that he's blind? We want to know. And Jesus says this. Neither. Neither. This man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God, there it is, might be on display through him. Jesus said, you're looking at it wrong. You're, you're, you're trying to figure out whose fault it is. I'm just trying to tell you what's about to happen. And the man's blindness was healed. In other words, the blind man wasn't the point. The point was God's glory being shown. And I know this is a bit uncomfortable, what we're about to talk about. But this will help us think that when we realize that miracles aren't about us, and I never thought about this way, folks. I just never did. Miracles aren't about us. This may help us understand why some people seem to see miracles and others don't. Perhaps they're coming from the wrong place. Look what James says, and this can be tough, but it's, it's here. James 4, 3, he says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives. You ever done that before? I haven't. Maybe you have, I haven't. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
How often do we ask God? Because we're being selfish. And this helps us when we realize that miracles aren't about us. Miracles are about God. This is about his glory being shown. This is about confirming who Jesus is. This is about God doing something. That means if we're asking about us, about our selfishness, about what we want, we're asking for the wrong things because it's really not about us. It's not about our spending and our needs. It's about God and his glory being shown. And it's, that, that can be tough. But remember, God is not our genie. I grew up with Aladdin, okay? I just did. Some of y'all are a little bit older than that. Maybe you watch with your grandkids. But I grew up with Aladdin. For somehow, for some reason, I grew up thinking that God is like my genie. If I ask him, he's supposed to do it. But he's not. He is not our genie. He is God, and we're here to serve and submit to him. Jesus teaches us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does prayer work with these miracles, and how does all that? We'll come back next week when we talk about prayer. Okay? Because one of you asked, why even pray if God knows what's going to happen anyways? We'll tackle that next week. But you see, we see these idea of wrong motives, and there's a story in Acts that tells us about Simon the sorcerer. You remember that? He was the David Copperfield of his day. He was a magician who everybody thought was extremely powerful, was doing some amazing things. And Philip came. He announced the message of Jesus and every, they got baptized, the sorcerer got baptized, and he came up to them. Verse 13 says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. This is the David Copperfield. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great sign and miracles he saw. So we had this magician who was a sorcerer doing these things to deceive people. And then he saw Philip, and he was like, man, they are doing like real stuff. They're doing like big stuff. Like, I can't do this. So if you're a sorcerer and you're a magician and someone has greater power, what do you do? We ask him to buy it from him, right? That's what happens. Look, when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. (laughs) Come on, guys, we're selfish, aren't we? I mean, you've done something like this, like, Lord, let me give you some money so I can get some power from you. Let me give you some money in the offering plate so you'll bless me later, right? Okay, we get this. Here's 20 bucks, God, will you come through? Same idea, okay. You're with me. He offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone who I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. He's trying to do this transaction with God. And he said this in front of Peter. And if you read the Gospels, wrong person to say something in front of. Peter rebuked him and said, you'll have no part in this ministry with us. None. He said, now go repent. You go ask for forgiveness because you have the wrong motives when we're dealing with God, thinking we can tip him or give him a couple of bucks and he'll come through. He says, no, wrong idea. In the Gospels, when people demand a sign from Jesus, y'all remember this? Remember how happy he was about that? I just have one of these for you, Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He's like, no problem. No. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Jesus isn't our dancing monkey. I don't know how else to say it. I need us to get this across. He's very clear on that. He doesn't perform tricks for us. 
He isn't at our disposal. This is the God of the universe. When we talk and when we pray, that's who we're addressing. He says, no, he said, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he goes on to explain about the resurrection, how Jonah was in the belly, Jesus will be in the grave, and he comes back. And what did that sign actually do? It actually condemned them because they didn't believe it. Often throughout the Bible, signs and miracles, these things we think will draw people's attention, actually doesn't. They actually get caught up with that rather than the God. You follow me? We get caught up in the miracle. We want the miracle. We want the blessing. We want, we want, we want, and we ignore who? Right. A lot of times those blessings can be distractions or those miracles can. So when we think about miracles, I can assure you what I do know is they aren't magic tricks. And God isn't our genie that we get three wishes from. And there's no magical formula, and that's the hard part. There's no formula to get God to do what we want. It's not how it works. I thought it was. If I go to church and I go to Wednesday night, he'll get me out of trouble, right? I first got in trouble, though. I'm going to be honest. I did it all on my own. He did not need to help me with any of that. I got into trouble all on my own, and then if I prayed, maybe he'd get me out. And I'd be like, Lord, I will read the Bible every night. For some reason, it never got me out of trouble. But he's, that's not who he is. But what I do know is we have an entire instruction book right here that lets us know God's will for our life, that lets us know how to conduct ourselves. In fact, it lets us know how to put ourselves in a position to see God come through in amazing, incredible ways. We do see that. But this idea of, and this isn't how the question was asked at all, by the way, but this idea of that we get that I can go do what I want and I'll get God to get me out of jail or get me out of trouble or get me out of, that's not a biblical idea at all. But he teaches us how to get in his will and follow his guidance and then he'll show up and God's faithfulness and your, and your faith, they intersect and do some amazing things. So, and we're talking about miracles and God working outside of your creative laws. They seem to be describing something, signs and wonders that are about him and not us, which I can assure you all of us have the greatest miracle ever imagined available to each and every one of us. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle the world has ever seen, the greatest miracle that's ever been done. You see, it gives glory to God. It's a sign that affirms who Jesus is, the Messiah, and it meets the greatest human need. Salvation for each and every one of us. The greatest miracle, the most important miracle, is available for each and every one of us. Please never forget that. Please never diminish that. We talk about it so much, it can just be this expression. Salvation is an expression. Salvation is not an expression. Salvation is something that the Lord of the universe has done for each and every one of us. And that is the greatest miracle ever. You can be saved from your sin. You can be with God for eternity. That is by far the most important miracle. And when you embrace salvation, when you understand what God has done, you realize that if he does nothing else, that is more than enough. He has saved us and rescued us. Isn't that great? I think so. And so when we embrace this idea of salvation and miracle, we understand that salvations are generally signs and wonders pointing to God about God, not about us. 
perhaps we go, okay, well, what our struggles are perhaps aren't with miracles, but maybe it's actually about the providential care. I mean, why are God's plans different for some than others? Why do some people have longer lives? Why are some people healed and some people aren't healed? I mean, why does God treat us differently? Why do some people just seem like random accidents take them out? But we can go this even further, can't we? When we start asking questions like that, we can say, well, why are some people born into great families and others aren't? Why do some people have dads and other people don't have dads? Why are some people rich and other people aren't rich? Why are some people's IQs higher than other people's? Why are some people really tall like me and why are other people short? (laughs) Don't laugh at that. That wasn't a joke. That was a statement. I mean, but when we start asking the why everything is different, I mean, what we're asking about is, well, what's God's purposes and plans? Why are things different? Well, I don't know if I can directly answer that, but I can tell you what I do know. I got about God's providence, about how he works for us. I know that God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. We see Jeremiah 1.5. This is speaking of the prophet Jeremiah. It's pretty interesting, though. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I mean, Jeremiah had a pretty specific call on his life before he was even formed in the womb. And then we see him talking to the entire nation of Israel. And and I love this because Jeremiah got this. He knew how much God knew and how much God cared. Because in Jeremiah 29, 11, speaking of the nation of Israel, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord's. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope into a future. And so we see God saying, look, nation of Israel, what you're going through right now is not fun. Because it wasn't fun. The captivity part, we read this out of context. I don't have time today. But they were dealing with some really, really hard stuff. They said, but hey, I know what will come. I know what I have plans. I know what's going to happen. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. No. But so we know that God has a plan for us individually. We know that God has plans for nations. We know that God is actively involved, which is a great thing. So just remember, God has a plan and a purpose for each person. And I know that God will give you what you need to accomplish what he's asked you to do. And this is the hard part, but I promise you it's true. God gives you what you need to accomplish what he's asked you to do. We don't have time to look at this whole parable today, but at the very beginning, it really helps us out. Matthew 25, Jesus says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. This is important. God has created us different. He's called us for different things. This is why it's so bad to compare yourselves to other people. Because God hasn't called you to be them. God has called you to be you. And we get so caught up with what everybody else is doing, we can miss on what God wants to do in our lives. But God has given you everything you need to accomplish what he's asked you to do. You are simply a steward. right? You're a steward. You do the best with what he's done with you. For me, again, like I told you, I had the burden of being super tall. It's been challenging, all right? Finding the right length pants and all that stuff. But in all seriousness, I didn't find out I was short. I don't know if I've told you this yet, until I was an adult. Okay, I didn't know this. My best friend just happens to be 6'3". I just thought he was really tall. We were making a joke one day talking about something. I said, well, I'm average height. And he said, 
no, you're short. I said, no. Rocky, that is not that funny. I haven't even got to the part yet, okay? And I said, I said, I said, I'm not short. He said, no, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, Brian, you're short. And I was like, no, you're just tall. I said, I said, I'm average height, David. He said, for a woman? <laughs> so then I had a short person complex. I didn't even know this, but guess what? I've always wanted to dunk. Not happened. But do you know my height has never gotten away to accomplish God's plans and purpose for my life? I've wanted to be taller ever since I found out I was short. <laughs> always. But it's never gotten in the way. I've always wanted to be skinnier. It's never gotten in the way. We focus on the wrong things, folks. And again, I think social media has a lot to blame. I won't get into that today. But I'm just telling you, stop comparing yourself to other people. Just do the best with what God has given you. And when we bring these two ideas together, that God is providentially caring for us, and the truth that he created us for a purpose. When we bring these ideas together, it calls us to just trust him. To believe in him and to follow him and to just give our lives to him. Saying, you created me this way. I'm not going to apologize for it. And just follow that and live into that. We get caught up in the wrong things. And remember, nothing can stop God's plans for you. Nothing outside of you. The greatest thing that gets in our way is who? Us, absolutely. But outside of that, we think of these other people and we think of this evil and we think about how this world goes. Just remember, other things can't stop what God has for you. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God had a purpose and a plan for them. Evil tried to destroy them. They were supposed to bow down to these, this idol. The king said, I'm going to throw you in the furnace if you don't bow down. What'd they do? Went in the furnace. Who showed up? Right, Jesus. 85% of the time, folks, I've told you, say Jesus. 85% of the time, it's true in church. Think about the story of Joseph. No matter what was thrown at him, it says, but God was there with him. 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 God has a plan for you, and nothing outside of you can stop that plan. But God has a plan for you, not the plan you have for you. See, in Acts 12, it gives us this weird situation. We see James in jail. We see Peter in jail. James is killed. Peter's released. I said James and Peter, right? Yeah, James and Peter. Okay, James is killed. Peter's released. And it just leaves it at that. They were praying for Peter. We imagine they were praying for James, but James gets killed. Peter doesn't. We don't. We don't know why God chooses to do things. I mean, that's at some point we got to stop and say he's God and we're not. But we see both ideas, and none of them question who God is. They just realize Peter, well, he has this to do. And James, well, he's with the Lord now. Remember, we don't know how it works out, but we have verses like this we can trust. It's Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And I know these are cliche verses for some, but there's a reason why it's a cliche. It's because, my goodness, this will get you through life. This is important. There's a reason why it's on so many coffee mugs. But, but don't just read it. Believe it. You know, I mean, this is one of those things that you can really cling to. It's one of these things we really got to hold on to and remind ourselves that we are in the hands of a good and wise, powerful God who will accomplish his purpose in this world. And remember verses like this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
We have to cling to these things. No matter what evil has been done for you, God can use it for his good. And I know some traumatic things happen to you. I absolutely know that. And I know if I knew what you went through, I mean, I probably would be in the same place you are. But here's the deal. God can use that for good. And I know it's hard to believe it, but he absolutely can. Think about the story of, G, uh, of Joseph. His whole family intended, excuse me, all his brothers intended so much harm. And then after that, harm after harm after harm after harm. And he ended up being the second, second of an entire nation in charge. And remember what he says at the end, Genesis 50, 20? He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Listen, we don't understand why we go through what we go through, but we do know God can use that for his goodness. Because God has a plan for you. God has given you what you need to accomplish what he wants you to do, and nothing can stop God's plan for you. And can we just be real for one minute? Forgive me for those of you who this is going to offend. I'm sorry. I just don't know how else to say it. Sometimes life sucks. It's just true. And just, it does. It's hard. And we just got to understand that. It's not always easy. It's difficult. It's hard. It's tiring. And what I learned in the military, it's, it's an experience I can help you maybe understand, is what I've learned in the military. And everybody knows who is courageous and strong is you can learn far more about yourself if you go through these difficult periods. It's through those difficulties, through those hardships, you can come out stronger and better than I don't know, better than you ever were before. Sometimes you just got to embrace that suck. That's what you're taught. You just got to deal with it. This is what it is, and it's hard. It's not easy. And I don't mean to offend you. I just don't know of another way to say it is it's hard. Sometimes you just got to go, yup, this is hard. This is absolutely difficult. I wish I wasn't here, but here I am. And we understand God is still caring for us. God is still loving us. God is still right there with us. And we go through what we need to go through. Because we know he has a plan and we know he has a purpose and we know he's not done using us. So we just embrace those things. Remind yourselves you are in the hand of a good, wise, powerful God who will accomplish his purpose in the world. And all you can do at the end of the day is do your best for the glory of God. Just do your absolute best. Stop worrying about everybody else. Stop worrying about what they're doing. Stop worrying about how much money you have. And just, just do your best for the glory of God. Follow him and allow him to take care of the rest. Because times are going to get tough and you'll have your good times. But just follow him. Because God wants you to focus on him. I know I'm going longer. I just got one more story to share with you from the Gospels, and I'll sum it up quicker than I had. At, after Peter's restored, remember he denied Jesus three times. After he's restored, Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him. He tells him to follow him. He tells him he's going to be hung on a cross like, like um, Jesus was. And if you've just been told that you're about to hang on a cross, it hit you kind of hard, wouldn't it? Or... Well, you do this. Look at John 21, 21. Next verse. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Here's the context. Jesus just told him he's about to go to a cross. He sees John. He's like, well, what about that guy? Isn't that what we do? 
Instead of dealing with what God's asked us to do, instead of dealing with what he's called us to do, instead of taking an investigative look inside of us, we do what? What about them? What's going on with them? How's that work? Remember Jesus' response? When Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? What is that to you? When we start worrying about other people, other things, remind yourselves, what is that to you? For you, he says this, you must follow me. One of the greatest things we can learn from this is if we just focus on what he's asked us to do, our lives will go so much better. Because what is this to you? This assumes that we love people more than God does. That's absolutely not true. We think that God cares for, that we love our children more than God could ever love our children. That's impossible. God created them. Or we think that our plans are better than God's plans. That's impossible. The whole world is his and the whole idea of time is his. Think about that for a while. We think, well, we can take care of them better than God could take care of them. And we know what's best. Just remember, gold is God's asphalt. He's got this. But he doesn't answer to us. And truthfully, no matter how well we know other people and what they're going through, God knows what's truly going on. God knows what he's asked them to do. God knows how much he's got on them. The only thing we can do and the only thing we're responsible for is whom? Us. And of course, as parents or children, you understand that. But focus on us. And so I ask, are you following Jesus? At the end of the day, are you following Jesus? Are you ready to stand before him and give an account for all that you've been given? Because the greatest miracle ever was that salvation has come to all. And God wants to save you from your sin, but save you for his purposes in this world. So trust him, follow him, and you'll see far more what people call coincidences and far more miraculous things for his glory. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your goodness and your providential care in our lives. Lord, at times we forget that you're actively involved and that you care and that you love us. We forget and we think that you're this God out there somewhere and we're here alone. But Lord, we thank you so much that the gospel reminds us and shows us how much you care. That you've come to this world. You came as, as a human into this world wrapped in flesh for us. That you took our greatest need and you took care of our, our greatest guilt and sin. You took all that on the cross for us. Father, you show us and you've shown us how much you care. Father, I pray that each and every one of us continues to trust just a little bit more. Continues to draw closer a little bit more. Father, we love you and thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.